Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. Today is AK Monday, and if you live in the state of Illinois, you can actually purchase one of these today. Um, I am featuring the Soviet Arms Type 56 for just under $1,000. As of the recording of this episode, it is in stock. This gun features the Palmetto State Armory CHF CL Chrome Molly Vanadium Barrel, a 1.5 millimeter stamped steel receiver, hammer forged trunnion bolt and carrier, and a Norinco style furniture with a 30-round magazine in states that will allow it. The link, as always, is in the show description. Feel free to check this out, and you will not be disappointed. I mentioned Illinois because a federal judge in East St. Louis issued an order on Friday blocking enforcement of Illinois' ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines until a lawsuit challenging the law is resolved. Judge Stephen McGlynn of the Southern District of Illinois said the law known as the, quote, Protect Illinois Communities Act, or PICA, is likely to be found unconstitutional when the case goes to trial, and the plaintiffs in the consolidated cases will suffer harms without a preliminary injunction to block its enforcement. In a 29-page opinion, McGlynn acknowledged that the law was passed in the wake of a mass shooting at an Independence Day parade in Highland Park last year. But he said the senseless crimes of a relative few cannot be used to justify abridging the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens, citing a U.S. Supreme Court case that was decided less than two weeks before the Highland Park shooting, New York v. Bruin. He said the Constitution guarantees an individual right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. More specifically, Can PICA be harmonized with the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution and with Bruin? McGlynn asked rhetorically in the opinion, that is the issue before this court. The simple answer at this stage in in the proceedings is likely no. McGlynn's decision came less than a week after another federal judge, Lindsey Jenkins, of the Northern District of Illinois reached an opposite conclusion and denied a motion to halt enforcement of the law. Plaintiffs in that case have indicated they intend to appeal the seventh to the Seventh Cir- Circuit Court of Appeals. The law prohibits the manufacture, sale, and possession of more than 190 different types of firearms, as well as many types of grips, stocks, and attachments. It also bans large-capacity magazines. Based on other recent U.S. Supreme Court cases, McGlynn said the state needed to show that the items being banned are not in common use and that they are the type of firearms that have been regulated historically. The state argued that the law is consistent with historical tradition because neither assault weapons nor large-capacity magazines were in common use when the Second and Fourteenth Amendments were ratified. But McGlynn said that argument was bordering on the frivolous because the Supreme Court has said the Second Amendment extends even to firearms that did not exist when the Constitution was drafted. He also noted that Friday's ruling was not a final resolution of the case, but he said that other state, excuse me, the other state, the state has other means 
available to address the issue of gun violence. There's a wide array of civil and criminal laws that permit the commitment and prosecution of those who use or may use firearms to commit crimes, he wrote. Law enforcement and prosecutors should take their obligations to enforce these laws seriously. Families and the public at large should report concerning behavior. Judges should exercise their prudent judgment in committing individuals that pose a threat to the public and imposing sentences that punish not just lightly inconvenience those guilty of firearm-related crimes. If that isn't a shot across the bow towards the erosion of the justice system, I don't know what is. Uh, You remember when we heard that they were hiring 85,000 agents at the IRS and we were gaslit and told, no, that's not happening. Well, it was just announced that the IRS is hiring special agents who shouldn't be afraid of using deadly force. I'm not joking. Criminal investigation, the law enforcement branch of the IRS is looking for agents across the U.S. who can combine accounting skills with law enforcement skills to investigate financial crimes. Special agents are duly sworn law enforcement officers who are trained to, quote, follow the money. These agents investigate financial crimes, money laundering, tax-related identity theft, and terrorist financing efforts. They are the only IRS workers who are permitted to carry and use firearms, required to effectively respond to life-threatening situations. They will conduct arrests, search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. But most importantly, they must be legally allowed to carry a gun. The agents must be prepared to protect themselves or others from physical attacks at any time and without warning, and use firearms in life-threatening situations, and shouldn't be afraid to use force, up to and including the use of deadly force. According to a posting on the website for the government jobs, the IRS is seeking agents in all 50 states. The posting lists 360 vacancies. The roles will pay between $52,921 and $94,228 annually, according to the USA Jobs listing. Coming on the heels of Jamie Dimon's suggestion that we should resort to civil asset forfeiture and eminent domain, this news doesn't surprise me, but definitely doesn't make me happy as we're coming on the heels of being told, you as a citizen do not deserve to have a firearm, use deadly force, defend and protect yourself. And then in the next breath, you have an agency that literally only deals with finance. Like money is the only thing they deal with. And they're trying to push for what was it? 360 people to be used, not be afraid of deadly force. Why should the government have the only monopoly on violence? It's it's just mind-blowing to me. The banking crisis continues to plague the United States as First Republic Bank falls. In the last 60 days, five banks, including Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, Signature Bank, Credit Suisse, and First Republic Bank have all collapsed, leading to concerns about the stability of the U.S. banking system. Many experts say that it will not just stop there, and we are about to see something that we have never seen before. However, First Republic Bank's collapse is particularly worrying, as the bank was considered one of the most stable regional leaders. U.S. regulators had asked banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase and PNC Financial, to submit final bids for First Republic by Sunday. 
Despite the bank's insistence that the banking system is stable, the U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC, is reportedly preparing to place First Republic Bank under receivership. This decision comes as the bank's position has deteriorated and there is no more time to pursue a rescue through the private sector. Shares of First Republic Bank closed down 43%, marking a significant stock route that has wiped out 75% of its value this week. At its lowest point, the bank had a market capitalization of nearly $557 million, a far cry from its peak valuation of more than $40 billion in November of 2021. Although large banks had previously injected $30 billion in combined deposits from U.S. banking heavyweights into First Republic Bank, the bank struggled to find support from larger banks or private equity firms on its proposed move to create a so-called bad bank or sell assets such as securities and its mortgage book. The imminent move to put First Republic in receivership comes as the FDIC and the Federal Reserve detailed their supervisory lapses before deposit runs caused the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in March. The Fed's assessment of its inadequacies in identifying problems and pushing for fixes at Santa Clara, California-based SVB, came with promises for more rigid supervision and stricter bank rules. While the First Republic case is evolving, it highlights the ongoing issues within the U.S. banking system. Despite the assurances of bank executives, it is clear that the banking system is far from stable. As the economy continues to struggle and the COVID pandemic wreaks havoc on businesses, it remains to be seen what other banks will collapse in the coming months. What are your thoughts on this? Are we at the end of the dollar in banking as we know it? Let me know what you think. After telling any potentially vocal patrons who disagree with Bud Light making a trans person one of its spokespeople to get lost, an Indiana bar released yet another statement backtracking its swift dismissal of its patrons. The latest statement is one of the Fairfax Bar and Grill in Bloomington, Indiana, and it's posted several in the last couple weeks, indicating that they are desperate to find the right messaging on this subject since they've been bleeding clientele. Where the first public statement denounced those participating in the backlash, the subsequent messages opted for an increasingly softer stance, with the last one admitting that the establishment values patrons of all viewpoints and will draw the line at uncivil behavior. Another message from the restaurant involved an admission that it had lost clientele and needed some back. The Fairfax Bar and Grill's initial weigh-in on the cultural issue stated, quote, We are tired of all the hate. We are very open to debate and discussion, and it's truly a shame that we can't have open conversations about this important political and cultural topic. Bars, in our opinion, exist as public spaces where ideas should be exchanged. It then discouraged boycotters to stay out, adding, unfortunately, due to all the bigotry and hatred that has surfaced around the Bud Light controversy, any patron wanting to voice their concerns about the issue will be immediately asked to pay their bill and leave our establishment. Restaurant owner McKinley Minifield justified the declaration, claiming, we were just dealing with a lot of hate speech and people being uncomfortable. My bartenders were aggravated. 
We had customers that were leaving. However, this past Wednesday, the restaurant indicated in a since-deleted statement that it was hurting financially after warding off uncooperative customers and needed new ones. Though it initially blasted social media users for flooding the initial statement with blatantly transphobic, homophobic, and racist comments, and claimed it was committed to not allowing hate at the establishment, the restaurant admitted. With the departure of some of our regulars, we have needed new clientele, and you have answered. I'm not going to lie, we still need more of you right now. On Thursday night, the bar posted yet another, more conciliatory message that seemed to be welcoming people with different viewpoints on the Bud Light issue provided they're civil. The post, which still up, is still up on the bar's Facebook page, read, A lot has been said. Some correct, some incorrect. And I want to clarify my stance. What I really want to convey is this. Just be respectful. Different opinions are welcome here as long as they are delivered respectfully. We'd no more want ugly, aggressive, or rude interactions about which sports team someone thinks is better than about societal issues. The Substantial Post added, we do not and will not censor opinions, but we do require civility in this establishment. So if you can't play nice, then get out of the sandbox. That goes for everyone. Let's remember why we even gather at a bar to enjoy each other's company and raise a glass to civility. This is the quintessential go woke, go go broke situation. No one wants to be told what kind of opinions they are allowed to have and furthermore to be silenced by an establishment that you're paying to be in as a it's a bridge too far for most people. Then there's no contrition. There's just, okay, fine. We need you to spend money here or we'll go out of business. So you can come back. But if you step one toe out of line, I'm kicking you out of my sandbox. The Biden administration is under fire for regulatory proposals critics have warned could serve as a backdoor attack on hunting and could lead to more aggressive measures targeting hunting. According to experts and hunting industry officials, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is expected to publish draft hunting guidelines that would substantially curb the type of equipment sportsmen are allowed to use on federal refuge properties. The guidelines are, among other provisions, expected to expand the refuge area where cost-effective lead ammunition and fishing tackle will be banned. Raising the cost of hunting, raising the cost of fishing, and raising the cost of our crowd Doing their thing is objective number one, without a doubt, because they know if you make it more expensive, less people will do it. Uh, That was Todd Atkins, the vice president of government affairs for the Sportsman Alliance, which is a pro hunting group. When it comes to the Fish and Wildlife Service issuing a ban on various refuges, they expand hunting opportunities. That's all we're really asking, Adkins continued. Number one, are you finding specific problems related to lead exposure at specific national wildlife refuges? And number two, have you evaluated the consequences that this ban will have on the users, both hunters and anglers? If they cared about the hunters and anglers, this would be an effective line of questioning, but they don't. In 2021, the Center for Biological Diversity, which is an environmental group with assets exceeding $40 million that advocates for stringent federal wildlife protection, sued the federal government over a Trump administration rule expanding hunting and fishing on 2.3 million acres 
across 147 wildlife refuges and national fish hatcheries. Instead of defending the rule, the Biden administration asked the court to delay proceedings in the case in February of 2022, and in November, agreed to a settlement with the Center for Biological Diversity that stipulated the government would take wide-ranging steps to protect wildlife harmed by expanded hunting and fishing on natural—oh my gosh, I can't talk—national wildlife refuges. In Montana, hunting and fishing and public access is a priority. Those activities that infringe on that, that aren't based on science, that aren't based on management, but are based on agenda, you know, we're going to fight against that. That's uh, Rep. Ryan Zink, who served as Interior Secretary between 2017 and 2019 during the Trump administration. In conservation, the very essence of Teddy Roosevelt was multiple use, public access, the best science, greater good, longest term. That's the American conservation ethic, which largely stems from Roosevelt and Pinochet saying and managing our forests. Hunting was the core to that. Environmental groups like the Center for Biological Diversity and Defenders of Wildlife criticized the move at the time, arguing lead ammunition poisons bald and golden eagles while risking contamination of waterways and drinking water. But hunting groups have argued there's no science to support such claims. How many eagles and birds do those windmills kill every year? This is a state issue, he said. It should not be agenda-based. It should be based on science. The state fish and wildlife experts evaluated within their respective boundaries and borders. If the environmentalists really wanted to get concerned about the bird population, maybe they should look at the 750,000 plus birds that are chopped up by wind and increasing is not about lead ammunition. This is about steps to reduce access to hunting. Their record is clear. What we face a lot of times with this administration is overreach. A Saudi-owned farm in Arizona owned by the Almare Company is receiving fresh scrutiny after using groundwater to grow alfalfa, which is then sent to the Gulf Kingdom for use in livestock. Arizona's worsening drought has put pressure on the state to protect its groundwater resources. Last week, Arizona rescinded permits that would have permitted Fondamonte, Arizona, (laughs) a subsidiary of Almare Company, to drill wells for water. The attorney general is conducting a more extensive investigation of the issue. Inconsistent permit applications led to the permit being revoked. The Saudi Arabian company leases thousands of acres of farmland from the Arizona State Land Department for below market value. Foreign entities and individuals control approximately 3% of U.S. farmland, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 14 U.S. states have restrictions on foreign individuals or entities owning farmland, but limitations vary widely, and no state completely prohibits it. Joe Biden on Saturday, in a possible preview of his presidential campaign theme, attacked news outlets, he said, used lies told for profit and power to stir up hatred as he coupled his remarks with pointed jokes about Fox News. Lies told for profit and power, lies of conspiracy and malice repeated over and over again, designed to generate a cycle of anger and hate and even violence, Biden said. 
Wait, are you talking about all media or just Fox News? And are you talking about politicians or the media? Because all of you do it all of the time. That cycle, Biden added, has emboldened local jurisdictions to ban books and the rule of law and our rights and freedoms to be stripped away. Sometimes I think I live in a weird twilight zone where we are constantly gaslit into thinking what we see with our own two eyes and experience in our lives is not what is actually happening. Zeroing in on what he characterized as an extreme press, Biden at the time joked that if he called Fox News honest, fair, and truthful, then he could be sued for defamation. Biden said he and his administration were, quote, here to send a message to the country and, quite frankly, to the world. A free press is a pillar of a free society, not the enemy. If you believe that, then free Julian Assange. Journalism is not a crime, Biden said as he spoke of efforts underway to free reporters all over the world who are being held in detention, except the one who actually tells the truth. That is your Monday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. You guys take care, have a wonderful day, and I'll see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.